For example, letting a baby scream, uh, waiting to be fed because four hours aren't up, does not make any sense at all. This is not uh, teaching the baby anything. Um, on the other hand, a six-year-old can be told to keep the sweetie, the candy, till after supper and not to eat it now if the child can comprehend and can do that. That's a, that could be an exercise in, in discipline. Parents, Torah parents, are fortunate to be disciplined by Torah. This has an enormous advantage that we have in educating our children because we too are under the discipline of Torah. So we're actually a role model in the fact that we also, we're all under the same obligations to, to, to listen to the Torah, to listen to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So that's why our role model theme is, goes to the very end. We are teaching our children to keep Shabbos. We also keep Shabbos. We're all obligated to the same, to the, to, to the same HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We all have De Hashem. And that's why it makes it all that easier for us as Torah parents guided by Torah guidelines to bring up our children. We have to keep in mind that Every child, we're talking about children in a, in a broad connotation of children, but every child is different. Not only uh, are not all children of the same age the same, but also every child is uniquely different. That's why the manner of education from a Torah perspective, as it says in Mishlech Hanoch Lanar Darkoi, educate each child according to his way. In other words, one has to get to know the child. We know as women... We have been given a Bina Yesera, an extra dimension of understanding, to learn up the child, understand his needs. He is an individual. One cannot set standards. One cannot copy others. One should not educate for the Cohens or the Browns or whoever it is who lives next door. We should never be ashamed of our children. Each child here is a unique individual. HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave him his potential and not somebody else's potential. After 120 years, when we were asked why, we were, when we go get to the Shammai, we were not asked why we weren't Moshe Rabbeinu, but rather why we didn't fulfill our own potential, and so with every person. So our goal in educating our children is to help them fulfill their potential, and each and every child is a unique individual, and we have to recognize their individuality between the different children. The greatest error we could make is by demanding not in accordance to the age and understanding and comprehension of the child. And this is why we said there's no exact age from when to discipline. It's got to do with the comprehension of the child, with principles being gradually, slowly, and with love. But we must remember, I'm going to quote from Ale Shor Haravolve in Mamara Chinuch, he says as follows, Kolt via shelo al any demand not in accordance with the age of the child may cause an injury, so to speak, to his nephew, to his to his soft um, uh, soul. That in the future could, in a very disturbing manner, affect his development, his personality. In the manner of fears, nervousness, and a lack of independence at an age where independence is already the norm. So demanding from a child that in accordance with his age and understanding is extremely damaging. And perhaps this is one of the biggest errors that are made 
uh, for example, uh, teaching, uh, I recall one lady calling me up and she had, um, she told me her, she's stopping to give her child to eat until he learns table manners. The child kept throwing the food from the high chair to the floor. The child was one year old. So table manners have to be taught. Of course they're going to be taught, but at the right time. So everything has, has got to be done at the right time because ultimately the principle is that there should never be such a thing as a child saying no to a parent. That's uh, the way we, what we're talking about. Discipline of Apitera, teaching a child to honor their parents. They, ha they are obligated to listen to their parents. And that's the method. So ultimately, we're talking about bringing up children who will not say no to their parents, who will listen to their parents, who will follow in their parents' footsteps, will, will, will have the same value system as the parents, etc. So clearly, discipline is the basis of Yiddishkeit. Before we eat the apple, we learn to make a brocha. But yeah, we don't just eat whatever it is unless it's got a kosher sign. We don't do what we feel like in Shabbos. They're, they're laws. This is the basis of Torah is education, is, is self-control. But we can only educate to this when they know that a person becomes an adult, a boy at 13 and a girl at 12. And uh, so, so we've got guidelines here from a Torah perspective and age. That's why infants, I think, is, it's a big error to make is to try and think that we need to educate that small baby uh, in, in, into waiting for its meals or, or not picking it up because it will get spoiled, etc. Because this is, this is a very uh, mistaken way of thinking and it has no basis from a Torah perspective at all. I'll give you an example um, of one such a, a case, perhaps a little bit extreme, but it, it, perhaps we'll see the, the importance of uh, this demanding not in accord to the age of the child and the damage it can cause. Uh, one particular lady once came to see me with a very problematic three-year-old. And um, after discussion and uh, whatever, I mean, children were, she, the child wasn't born at three, the child wasn't problematic from day one, what happened, what occurred. And in discussion, it came out as follows, that when her baby, I'm going to give you just two examples uh, <laughs> uh, of the childhood of this child of, uh, that was now three, two examples in the, from these three years, and we'll see clearly the 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 importance of of this point of uh, educating in accordance with the age of the child. When the child was six weeks old, this lady went to get counsel from a wise somebody who she got advice from. Who she did not have uh, a home uh, situation where she could get advice from. So she went to get advice on how to handle the situation. That look, she was tired. The baby keeps waking up at night. Uh, this is an exhausted, exhausting business being a mother. Yeah, the baby doesn't sleep at night. It's six weeks old already. Anyway, the, her advisor advised her in very strict fashion that um, this is not a way to bring up a Torah-educated person. A baby must learn to sleep at night, take baby out of room, close all the doors, put earplugs, and baby will learn that this is uh, you don't eat at night. That's just one example. Uh, a second, I'll give you an example from when the child was 14 months old. By the way, the, the woman just went about following those instructions as she thought that they were correct. Uh, the baby was 14 months old. She again went to her advisor and uh, consulted with her what to do with a clinging 14-month-old. It hangs around the feet, doesn't let, doesn't let uh, the mummy make uh, cakes for Shabbos. It's, it's, it's around all the time, doesn't, uh, well, wants attention all the time, what to do about this. And... Um, Again, the advisor this time was very, very strict that this is an absurdity. This is very poor behavior. The child will not grow up into a mensch, into a Torah uh, adult. And you must take the child, put it inside some kind of a pen, 
lock it in, in the situation, give it some toys and explain very clearly that mommy now is going to bake, to cook, to make, and a child must uh, learn to be there on its own. Child screamed, obviously, for hours. Anyway, but the, the woman was following very uh, these instructions very um, impl implicitly. Now we've got a problematic three-year-old. It's not surprising. It is not in accordance with the age of the child what was taking place here. Babies have needs. Infants have needs. And we're going to look into the needs of the child. It's very clearly laid out in Torah sources. It's just spread out in different places. This is not in one place because there's a naturalness to it. This is the way of the world. And if we were to leave mothers to, to mother in a normal, natural fashion without coming with every other day with a different psychology book and telling them to do it this way, that way, or the other way, most women would, by inclination, uh, bring up their children in a very in a very healthy fashion. But we are getting again from non-Jewish sources. We are taking sources of uh, every time it's a different psychologist uh, with different uh, explanations. Yes, pick up baby. Never pick up baby. Uh, whatever the case may be, and following these uh, instructions, we look to Torah for everything in our lives. We need to look to Torah in uh, in our role as mothers as well. Um, the sensitivity of Torah to the child is enormous. Sefer Chassidim brings the following incident. It brings there that Yelet Katan Shenomevin, a small child who doesn't understand why he's being hit, if he's sitting by his father, the Sfarim Lafanav, and there's Sfarim there in front of the father, and the child wants to go to the toilet, don't scream at him. It says, don't shout and scream at him because he won't understand that, it, that it's the importance that it's because of the svarim you're telling him to hold back. And uh, that he'll be frightened and he can cause himself uh, to be in danger by this. There's an enormous sensitivity throughout svarim, throughout Chazal's writings to the understanding of the child. So clearly, there is no place to expect a baby to sleep through the night because a baby, by nature, it's a natural thing for a baby not to sleep through the night. And anyone whose baby sleeps through the night should just take it that was a lucky night. Because if we realize it's normal and natural for a baby to wake up, then we won't be fighting with the baby or feeling like many women feel that it's like as if they're bad mothers because their child is not sleeping through the night. We know that the most commonly asked a question when young mothers are sitting together and discussing their their situations is, does your baby sleep through the night yet? As if this was like the, the make and break of, of, of mothering and of motherhood. Yes, some babies sleep at a young age through the night. Some wake up for, for a long time in the night. Either way, it's irrelevant. It's uh, it's not related to, to modes of mothering necessarily. Um, concerning baby care, the Torah's guidelines and how to go about caring for the infant, which is really the beginning. As we said, the Torah Simecha begins from day one. So we really, before going on to the next stage, we have to have discipline, etc. We first have to get that first stage of the, 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 the love lesson in love clear. And the guidelines for baby care in Torah sources are all given through examples and explanations of menekes, of a woman who is nursing her baby. In other words, nursing uh, being the natural birthright of a child, uh, this is not from a Torah perspective. This is not a matter of choice. How should a mother mother her child? The natural uh, birthright, so to speak, of a baby. If Hakadosh Baruch Hu made it so that after giving birth, uh, miraculously, so to speak, milk 
is there produced and this is the way that a by a natural way that a, a woman can nurture her child so we are going to learn manners of mothering through uh, the sources brought down on breastfeeding on on nursing in Torah sources uh, if somebody for whatever reason is not able to nurse their child to breastfeed them themselves then they clearly should follow whatever guidelines are brought down even if they're feeding their baby out of a bottle. In other words, not to separate from the baby that the mother should give it. All the rest of the, the manner of breastfeeding should be followed, even if a bottle has to be used. And again, this should not be a, a matter of just as if two equal choices and making one choice, but rather this really should be regarded that breastfeeding is a birthright of a child. And this should be regarded the natural way to nurture a child and using alternative methods only as uh, as a last resort when there is no option. So first of all, what is normal, how often, etc. If we'll have a clear picture, what is the Torah perspective on these, it could save us and let us enjoy, save us a lot of um, difficulties in child raising, in, in, in mothering, and allow us to enjoy uh, these gifts from heaven, the babies that Akash uh, gives us. First of all, That's what it says in the Gomorrah, a baby is allowed to nurse whenever it wants. So again, clearly, whatever books have got uh, uh, that people that, that have four-hour schedules or whatever-hour schedules have no place from a Torah perspective. A baby is allowed to nurse. Again, this is referring to nursing. So the milk that comes in that way, whenever it wants. Mahadad afilu tinok kol hayom ein maziko. It's brought down that the, the breast milk, even if a baby were to nurse all day, it wouldn't harm him. So again, all the, the old wives tell us that if it eats too much, it will get sick, have no place. The baby will just simply uh, throw up what it doesn't want anymore. But it, it's not going to be harmful. Too much breast milk can't harm the child. No harm can come. So we have nothing to worry about allowing the baby to nurse whenever it wants, whatever suits uh, the baby. And then, shlishit. There's a tinok yonek mishadei mo. Shlishit is at the middle of the night when we... Maybe we'd rather be sleeping, but it's brought down clearly that that is a normal time that a baby nurses from its mother. Yeah, the early hours of the morning, these are the hours that a baby, it's natural and normal for a baby to nurse. So again, we shouldn't be fighting with nature uh, by uh, thinking we're bad mothers because our baby uh, does want to be, uh, wants attention at that time. Um, we know that mothering is a full 24-hour job. Nowhere does it state that it's a 12-hour job or a 9-hour job or a 15-hour job. It's a 24-hour job. And uh, the the reward is in accordance to the effort. As much as we'll put in, yeah, the more we'll put in, the greater the reward. It says in the Gemara that how long to nurse a baby? Again, as long as the baby wants. They talk about, the Gemara talks about an average nursing time of being around two years. Now, that was clearly a normal, natural, so there's nothing to worry about. Oh, my baby's already six months. I'd better start weaning it. I'd, uh, the neighbors think so, or the aunt thinks so, or, or somebody else thinks so. A baby should be allowed to nurse for as long as it wants to, two years being just an average. In fact, the Torah brings down sources that a baby is allowed to nurse for three years, for four years, and even for five years for a sickly baby. So there's no worry here that the baby has to stop nursing at ever any given age. Obviously, mother has to enjoy the nursing as well as the baby for them to continue a nursing relationship as long as they're uh, happy with it. 
the Yerushalmi and brings down another source. Just like man learns Torah every hour, so a baby can work a nurse at any hour, every hour. Not necessarily do most babies nurse all the time and at all hours. But on the other hand, if we have this in mind that it's normal and natural to, for a baby to nurse, for a successful nursing relationship to be such that a baby could nurse whenever it wants, this will make it all that much more enjoyable to relax and mother our children, infants in this way. The minute we are fighting against the clock and the, and looking at the clock and measuring times and schedules, etc., it can make things much more difficult. Schedules, if it suits the baby and the mother, there's no problem. But as long as everybody is happy. And these things can change from week to week, from month to month, even from year to year, with the, with, and from, of course, from child to child uh, with mothering. Um, it says in Mishle, there's clearly Torah guidelines are that the woman should be the one to nurture her child, preferable on giving her child to be nurtured by a substitute. Obviously, if a substitute has to be used, it should be again in Pikuach Nefesh in a situation where there's no alternative. And then obviously, a substitute should be chosen, which and and who is and in the manner of substituting, which is as close to the mother uh, as possible in the relationship with the child. But again, we must realize that if we are going to give our children to whatever Filipino to bring up, then the relationship built up will be between child and Filipino and not child and mother. There might be a wonderful relationship built up between the the the, the, the child carer and the, and the mother. But this is not really we are losing out. Uh, in, in an enormous amount because a child is only a baby one time and that time does not repeat itself again and that what we give and that would be put in in the early months, years, weeks, months and years of a child's life are something that lasts for forever. Uh, we know that uh, talking about how long children nurse again one day is better than no days, two days, days is better than one, a week is better than, than three days. Every day is, is, is worth the effort. Uh, we know that Yitzhak Avinu nursed till he was two years old. We know that Shmuel Hanovi nursed until he was three years old. Separation from the mother is regarded by our sages as being something that could be bad for the baby. Is it? Enormous sensitivity to this. In Tosfos read in Ketubos, it's brought down that she'afal pishu yonek mishacheres. Even though he might be nursing from another woman, as there's another caretaker for the baby. Imhu mekiris imo. If he recognizes his mother, koifinosa, she should be forced to take care of him. Kevanshu makirba because he recognizes her. Im tanicheno takshelo predasavi staken. Because if she leaves him, it'll be hard for him the separation, and it could endanger the child. We know that crying, causing unnecessary crying by a baby, is not something that is looked upon positively. The, the idea is to, the, 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 the goal in the role is to try and keep the baby as happy as possible. If the baby's unhappy, it could be unhappy in the mother's arm a whole day. That's the maximum she could do. There's a very big difference to that and leaving a baby to scream by itself, alone for hours on end, whatever, because she wants to be doing something else. And in fact, causing unnecessary uh, crying with a baby. It's brought down in uh, Gomorrah. If a person takes his son and he's got a stone in his hand, on Shabbos, yeah? The stone is Mokza. The choice for Shabbos brings down, leave the child. 
Because if you're going to grab that stone away from the baby, the child won't understand and it'll cry. In other words, there's an understanding that if a child doesn't comprehend the, the issue, then not to, call, not, to, not, not to cause a child unnecessary unhappiness. There's enough things that go on in a, in a little child in an infant's life that could be unhappy. The child will cry as much as it needs to. No one has to the, the, let a child cry to, to develop its lungs. The child will cry as much as it needs to, even if you'll be, you'll be taking the best care and patting it and rocking it and, and looking after it. Uh, what we're talking about is not leaving the child alone to cry as a kind of a discipline lesson or whatever the case may be. When we're talking about, we're talking here about infants who do not comprehend what the issue is about. In fact, the sources get very strict. And in Pele, your eight, Zerich Yon Keshadaim, they bring as follows. Ubevadai, and it is certain, Sheotan Hanashim, that those women, Shemeni Chois Es Yaldehen, who leave their children, Yon Keshadaim, nurslings, Sheiv Kuzman Rav, that they should cry for a long time, Ajig Meruis Kain, or Adav Dimai Devai, until they finish doing their, whatever they had to do, Atidot, they in the future will have to give din v'cheshbon on this un-Jewish manner practice of mothering. So the very, uh, we should take this very seriously. This again, a child, when the child's crying in our arms, it's something else completely. Uh, we are talking here about leaving a child, a baby, alone to cry. Yeah, as, as some kind of a lesson that uh, sometimes maybe we read on, in some psychology book that maybe we'll teach the child uh, to read the clock this way or we'll teach it to, to let mommy read a book or bake a cake or whatever the case may be. Uh, this is not uh, a, a Jewish manner of practice. To summarize the Torah sources on mothering, they talk about looking after baby as if he were a king, a high priest, and a learned man. Every child is different. Every child is a different challenge. Chazal are so sensitive to the personality development of the child, they bring down one of the sources that a person should give his child things to things to break that because a child has a natural inclination he needs to break it says give him some things to break that he's got an urge to break them again nowadays we can use toys for this ready made toys for that purpose they bring down their very cheap uh, types of breakable uh, items that are uh, that are cracked whatever that you could give the child to play with because the child has an urge and a need to to be able to uh, play and break certain things. So again, understanding the characteristics of the child and the needs of the child uh, is a very important uh, in, in in our role as mothers. Even difficult children, we we can succeed at. Even if the the challenge seems enormous, every little step forward there is an enormous achievement. Yisodot Achinuch brings down that every child is an neshama tahora, neshama natata bi tahorahi. These pure neshamas that Akrash Baruch Hu gives, uh, gives in our hands. So when we are educating, when we are disciplining our children, when we're telling a child off, not you are a bad boy. Why, the whole of the child became bad because he did something bad. Rather, the action you did is bad. You're a wonderful, good neshama You're a good boy. That action, if it was telling a lie or stealing or, or hitting or whatever the case may be, that action is bad. Watch ourselves in, in, in the manner in which we are educating. 
Every little thing is a lesson. Uh, if we don't give this child the opening and we say to the child, you are bad, then we're not leaving any room for tshuva. And Torah says that everybody's good. Everybody can repent. So that's why it's the action can be bad, but not the person. Children need attention. Sometimes they'll cry for attention. Then you pick them up and they're quiet. But uh, a child can also misbehave for attention because if a child doesn't get positive attention in a positive manner, the child can misbehave because even negative attention is better, better than no attention. So that's why we should just be aware of the child's need for attention and it will obviously be wiser when we're able to give the attention before it's demanded. It makes a lot of sense if it's in the form of a nice word, a smile, whatever the case may be. Fear can be a very destructive element in the parenting relationship. The Gemara explains, A person should not put too much greater fear into his home because very many bad things come as a result of too much of fear. I recall one little child who wouldn't go home once because he was so frightened of his parents, what they were going to do to him because he had lost his sweater. Yeah, we don't want to establish a relationship based on fear because then the child would be too afraid to tell the parent anything. That is not a basis for any kind of relationship. We should also be cautious that we, when our, our form of discipline should be without fear. As it brought down, if we state things in a calm manner, it will get accepted. If we scream and yell and rave and runt, maybe the tune of the raving and the runting is what's getting heard, but the words are being lost. Another point would be not to frighten a child. Yes. Uh, it could be very dangerous for a child. Chazal bring us in one of the sources. If you see that a door was locked on a child, this is even on Yom Kippur we're talking about. It's in Yuma. Um, if a door is locked in front of a child and you can't get out, you break down that door and the quicker you get the child out, the better. And the Meiri explains, because if a door closes in front of a child, we have to be, be cautious that the child might get so fearful he could die from fear. So we see that there's obviously no place for cruel methods of punishment, of locking up in closed places and chasvasholim, any of that, those kind of things which would be dangerous, would be cruel. Uh, those aren't modes of punishment in any way. Any, it, 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 it have no place at all in educating children, whatever. In fact, when we talk about spoiling the, saving the rod and spoiling the child, the rod we are talking about there, yeah, is a shoelace. So it doesn't mean that we have to be beating the child up in order to educate him. Even just a, a look, an, a, a, a stern look on a face, a, a reprimand, which is a look on a face, that is a telling off to a child. Sometimes that might not be good enough. Sometimes we might have to be more uh, tell off in a more serious fashion. Maybe we will have to raise our voice to get our message across if, it, if we didn't manage in a positive manner. And we might even need further than that to go in a, in a negative form of punishment, so to speak, when, when necessary. But we have to remember those are just, it's, it must be gradual. The way to try, the first and foremost manner of education is by uh, prizes and encouragement rather than punishment. I'm quoting from your Sadotah Chinuch. The left hand should push away and the right hand bring close. We should usually prefer 
the prizes and rewards and encouragement rather than punishment, negative punishment. So, for example, we enter this messy room and uh, you've already asked for it to be tidied up and uh, it, it doesn't look too good. So rather than punishing and, um, and criticizing and whatever, we could try encouraging, find one little corner that has been done and uh, we can't be untruthful, we can't exaggerate, we must encourage and, and you can only say uh, something that is real, yeah? But, oh, this corner is magnificent. I'm sure you can manage the rest the same way. Uh, Whatever positive, if it's prizes, if it's stars, if it's stickers, if it's uh, whatever, uh, these are all positive manners. Again, we should not put the children one against the other within the family, but rather they should be competing each one with himself, but not necessarily against each other. Rather, the children should compete all together to bring them closer, not cause unnecessary um, rivalry in any way between them. Our general manner of treating our children should be the honor of our, um, we should honor our children, um, their honor should be dear to us as, uh, as our own honor is dear. Chavercha is a friend. Our children are certainly our friends. So we should treat them with respect. All the laws of Losh and Hora, of there's speaking about other people, etc. They all exist concerning our children. It is so uh, it's so negative to find women sitting around talking about their children in front of them, behind their back, whatever the case may be, with other people. The only time and place we're talking about the child would be when it's little when it's to correct. So husband and wife sitting and analyzing at the end of the day privately how this child's doing and what that child uh, needs correcting in. How do we work on that? That's a different issue. That is little That's for the good. But just... You know, it's talking over the phone. Oh, my child is so lazy. If you call him lazy, he's going to have to live up to being lazy. But uh, and this is, is simply a, a contradiction to the laws of, of, of Losh and Hora. We're not allowed to talk this way, not to belittle, not to insult, not to tell a child off in front of others, not even in front of their brothers and sisters, rather privately telling off. We also don't like being told off publicly. We should treat the child with respect. And if punishment is a last resort, then never in anger. Uh, it's a well-known story about a certain Rav who sat for two weeks. He did not punish his child uh, for something the child had done because he was so angry. So he had to calm down for two weeks before he could punish the child about the about what he had done. Uh, the, the purpose of the punishment is to correct. It's not to express our anger because we've got nothing else to do with our anger. We'll have to let our steam off some, some other way in another, in another manner, but not on the child. That isn't, that isn't the, the goal and the purpose of punishment. The punishment is there to educate the child not to do and behave this way. And sometimes we have to put on a very serious telling off when there's a serious issue at hand. But the, the Indian here is not from anger. It's as an, it's an educational lesson. Not to threaten a child. The Gemara brings down, Don't frighten a child that you're going to do something to him. If you've got something to say, then do it now, but don't threaten. Because one has to be fearful that the child could uh, do something to himself from, from being afraid of something that was threatened to him. So not to threaten a child or that who knows what's going to happen to them if. Uh, important basis, uh, basis in, in educating children would be to build up the 
self-image of the child. Uh, there's a, a story told I believe by Shulman about a certain teacher who was uh, given a very difficult class to teach. No one could teach this class to read. It was an impossible class. Anyway, this new teacher came in, and in that year, she taught them. They became the best class in the school. She taught them to read, and they just excelled. End of the year, the principal called the teacher in and said, look, we want to learn from your methods. How did you do this? You took this this, uh, this very bad class, and uh, yet you, what you did with them, it's unbelievable. The teacher said, I don't know what you're talking about, but I, I had one look at their high IQs, and uh, so I told them so. Look at what you can achieve. Look at your IQs. So, yeah, I think there's a walkover from them. IQs? What IQs are you talking about? She said, that list I got at the beginning of the year with the IQs. <laughs> they laughed. That list was the numbers of their locker numbers. It wasn't at all their IQ numbers. Uh, but the fact that she had built up the child, the children's self-image and built up their self-esteem, that had given them the ability to raise. If you, if you, if you give somebody, if you build somebody up, they'll live up to what you're building, uh, building up. But if you squash them down, they'll go down to what you're squashing them to. Last but not least, and perhaps most important of all, is prayer, tefillah. Le'olam yevakesh adam rachamim al atzmo v'al banav v'al b'nei beisor shelo yitzei echad mehem l'yedei davar mechuar. person should always plead for mercy on himself, on his children, that nothing ugly should come from any of them. This is a parent's tefillah, a parent's prayer, that he should be uh, bring up his children in the right way what we have to remember here is that what we we could all we could think well look if it's all in the it's all siyata de it's all help from heaven we can say look you bring them up yeah and we can retire from the job that isn't what it's about we are meant to put in our maximum ishtadus our ishtadus and our maximum not someone else's maximum we are meant to do our best in educating and bringing up our children and we pray and we dive into Akrash Baruchu to, to bless, to, um, to help us and to help our Ishtadlus that it should be successful. That is what we are, what our feel is. Akrash Baruchu should help that our Ishtadlus should be the right one and we should be doing the best that we can. Uh, there's a story, to, two story told about the Chofetz Chaim, that when he was old, uh, somebody found a siddha of his mother's. A tear-stained, thoroughly used cedar was brought to him, and he was very moved by this, and paging through the yellow tear-stained cedar, the Chofetz Chaim said, it's this cedar, the tears that went into it, that brought brocha on my mother's children. So said the Chofetz Chaim, uh, concerning the, the tefillahs of his mother, but yeah, as, as we know, that her child turned out to be the Chofetz Chaim. I have a poem that uh, written um, that uh, expresses a letter to Emma, which I'll read to you, that uh, somebody wrote to her mother. My dear Emma, I'm sending this letter to say the things I've never said. From my impressions as your child, these thoughts were going through my head. As far back as I can remember, you said Shema with me at night. I always saw you welcome Shabbos. I saw your candles burning bright. You made our home a house of Torah, encouraged Dad to learn each day. You stood beside him during hard times 
You gave him strength in your own way. You taught us all about the mitzvahs, showed us the right way from the start. We always saw your love for Torah, and you've instilled it in our hearts. Now your children have grown older, each one has gone her separate way, and yet we follow in your footsteps, you've made us what we are today. Now your daughter is a mother, I do the things you used to do. Not only did you build your own home, but Emma, you've built my home too. You should all be zeichet to be able to bring up our children that they will feel this way about the efforts we've we put into their education ultimately. Perhaps to end, I'd like to share with you, I have here a book called Our Lives by Sarah Shapiro. It's a terrible Feldheim book. And I'd like to read to you a certain story. It's a true story. It's a letter written by a particular lady. Um, uh, and uh, I think perhaps the words will have a story, if we could just get through it, um, could be very meaningful to us and an enormous lesson to us all in uh, our roles as mothers. Dear Mirella, I can't believe I have one night to stuff a lifetime of love into this letter. Tomorrow morning, if 4 a.m. can be called morning, I am giving you up. I am taking you, Mirella, to the back entrance of dear brave Herman's grocery, and the child rescuers will be waiting there for you and the 32 other children under the age of three. They can inject you with a sedative and you won't cry, so that, so that you won't cry, and then they'll slip off in the pre-dawn with you, my life, my love, out of this horrible country to safety. We pushed it off and pushed it off, Mirella. We didn't want to believe we would have to give up our child, probably never to see her again. But this is the last child rescue. After that, there will be no one left to rescue. But by these words, words spoken by our trusted informer Herman, the brave Gentile grocer. Any child they take away either dies immediately or dies on the way to the death camp. The word death three times in one sentence. We were the last ones to be convinced to give up our child. He said, finally, with the deepest sadness in every exhausted wrinkle in his face, I cannot force you, but if you keep her with you, you will be dead in a month. She will be dead in a month. They have no use for babies. She cannot work for them. If you want to give her to us, bring her to the back entrance of my grocery at 4 a.m. No belongings. Whatever food you have, goodbye. Mirella, do you see why I had to give you up? He said, no belongings, but I will beg, I will plead, that this letter be allowed to go, sewn into your undershirt. And then I will pray to Hashem that the letter stays with you until you are old enough to read it. You must know that we love you. You must know why you are alone without parents, not because they didn't love you, but because they did. It's eerie to think that by the time you read this, I will probably be dead. That's what Herman says is going on. People die either immediately on the way or after a week or two of forced labor and no food. But I won't have lived in vain, Murilla, if I know that I brought you into the world and you will live and survive and grow big and strong and you will be happy. You can be happy, Murilla, because we loved you. What makes a difference in the lives of adults, it seems, is if they had secure childhoods, 
secure, with lots of love and acceptance, and needs fulfilled, and predictable routines, and the like. You have had that up to this minute. You'll have it up till 4 a.m., but then you won't. Who knows who will end up taking care of you? Some family who will take you in for the money, Herman will pay them. They will surely be kinder to their own than to you. Here is where pain mixes with rage. I rage at the animals who are making it possible for you to cry, and I won't be there to comfort you. But you will have this letter, and this letter will make you feel secure, if Hashem answers my prayers. You have us, Mirilla, even though you can't see us. We are with you, we are watching you and praying for you. Every time you have troubles, we are pounding on the door to the very throne, insisting on an audience and demanding mercy for our own Mirilla down on earth alone without parents. And Hashem will listen to us. We won't leave him alone until he agrees that you deserve health and love and happiness. <coughs> Mirilla, you'll wonder what your first two years were like. You'll wish you could remember. Let me remember for you right now, tenderly, on this piece of paper. You like hot cereal in the morning with lots of milk and sugar, except that there is no milk and sugar now, none in the whole city. But I make your cereal anyway, and you eat it with big smiles between every bite. Then you become ready for your nap, though I rock you. After putting the rocker where the sunlight will fall up, I rock you until you fall asleep, and then I put you in my bed. You sleep well there. You like my smell. What will you smell tomorrow night? Surely no one will rock you tomorrow night, not even in the shade. Oh, I cannot do it. I will do it. For you, Mirilla, so you will have at least a hope for life. Mirilla, do me a favor. After you've grown, after this dirty, nightmarish war is over, I know there will be those who will underplay the tragedies going on here every day. They will say, a war is a war. It was just a war. Mirilla, tell them about this agony. Tell them how you felt secure in my arms, rocking to sleep in the sunlight. Tell them how your father ran one night a year ago when you were sick to get your medicine past sentries while breaking the curfew. He risked his life to ease your pain, Mirilla, and now the three of us are torn apart. Just a war? Tell them, Mirilla, that all the wars in the world don't up add up to the agony in my heart now as I write this. I'm already only two more hours of my love, my baby, my life, my Mirilla. I'm going to hold you now, Mirilla, for two hours. Father and I are going to wake you and feed you and tell you over and over how much we love you. You're barely two years old, but maybe, if Hashem is good, maybe you'll remember it, and maybe you'll keep this letter until you're old enough to read it. There will be bad times for you, Mirilla, I know, but just think about me holding you, rocking you to sleep in the sunlight. Keep that sunlight in your heart always. I love you. Your father loves you. May Hashem help us all. The letter was signed, Mama. And now there is a letter. Dear readers, Miracles do happen. My mother's letter stayed with me, sewn into my undershirt. And now I am getting old myself and have decided to share it with you. After almost 50 years of keeping this private, why did I translate it from the Yiddish and decide to share it with you now? A few reasons. Firstly, one doesn't hear much about the Holocaust any anymore these days. There are those who claim that it was made up, not a, not a, not true, a brilliant Jewish play for sympathy. My mother asked me to remind you that it wasn't just a war. It was a monstrosity. Secondly, my mother's faith in Hashem, even at that dreadful hour, never ceases, ceases to amaze me. Even though she seems almost certain that she will soon die, as indeed she did, she believes firmly in Hashem to whom she can turn both before and after her earthly life ends. This strengthens my own faith, and perhaps it will strengthen yours. And lastly, 
I know I'm from a different generation. Nowadays, I'm told, all mothers work. But sometimes I look out my window and see little children, just two years old. That's how old I was when my mother was forced to give me up to strangers. And I look out my window and see these two-year-olds crying because they want to stay with their mothers. But their mothers are putting them on the bus because they want to be free of them. And something doesn't seem right. I was at a bar mitzvah recently. A young mother was talking about her three-year-old's adjustment to school. I'll never forget her words. There's a choice. You can send your child either till noon or till three. He'd be happier coming home at twelve, but that's not enough for me. I thought about my mother. It would have been enough for her. Then the young mother continued. The first day I put him on the bus, he went without a word. The second day, oi, did he scream. Of course, by the second day, he knew he was in for a whole day of separation from his mother, for whom three hours of separation isn't enough. You mothers are lucky enough to have your babies. Raise them too. Don't throw them out before they're ready. Don't leave them before they're ready. Go now. Rock them in the sunlight. For my mother. Signed, Miriam Vasliber. The lady who writes this letter puts in parenthesis, In my mother's letter she didn't leave me her name, but I always think of her as Lieber, love. I'm lucky. Many of the other children rescued together with me didn't know their own names. This is the end of the letter. I think that it speaks for itself. I think we all just have to thank this woman for sharing this note uh, with all of us. And yet, Hashem, uh, we should all be zoicher to fulfill the tefillah of Chana, which is the prayer really of every Jewish woman, the prayer of a devoted mother who has done the very best for her child, she has nurtured him with love, and when the time comes, she gladly hands him over to a life of Torah and mitzvahs.